So this morning, I want to, uh, before we get into the word and, and begin there, I want to uh, read you a prayer from the Valley of Vision, a prayer of adoration. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see not a fearful throne of judgment, but a throne, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. So this morning's message comes from the book of Nehemiah. We will read the whole text. Uh, then we will divide the text according to the aim of the author. We'll make some observation of what's going on in the narrative story, show connections with the text to the whole of the Bible and its uh, gospel connections and implications. And as we do, let me begin by reading the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, chapter 5. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many. Let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There are also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as flesh of our brothers and our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel within myself and brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, You are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and their percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all of the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor, the former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even the servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired, we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, 
I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. This is the word of God for us this morning. So by way of outline, verses 1 through 5 are the outcry of the people. Verses 6 through 11 is the leader's rebuke of the people for their um, exacting of interest on them. Uh, Verses 12 and 13 is the repentance of the people. And then 14 through 19, we see the sacrifice of the leader. As we begin, I, I was thinking this week about the... Uh, letter from the Birmingham jail written by Martin Luther King Jr. And he says that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And everybody probably knows that quote, but the rest of it is great as well. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And as we see here, Nehemiah is fired up at the injustice being brought against his own people. We've looked at um, chapter 4 a couple of Sundays ago concerning the external and internal threats to the ongoing work of God in building that wall. There were the threats of the neighboring countries and there were threats uh, from uh, those that were opposed to them. But also there were some internal threats, which is what we're looking at. Here, the external threat from the enemy, it came when they were very tired and they were vulnerable. The enemy mocked their work, casting doubt in the hearts uh, and minds of the people as to the worthiness of the task, making them shrink back. The enemies further threatened violence against them. The people of Judah had uh, fears of of the enemy and they had fears of the enormity of the task. And it caused the people to grow weary and to lose faith. Well, Nehemiah addresses them in chapter 4 and verse 14. He says, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. From last week's text, we saw that leaders face opposition. But leaders do not shrink back from the fight that the Lord has brought to them. Leaders engage in each battle as it comes. So chapters 4 through 6 are concerned with opposition to the work. In this morning's text, we see that the opposition that Nehemiah is leading the people through is what is created when the justice of God is either ignored or interrupted by their own behavior towards one another. Let's look at the outcry more closely in verses 1 through 5. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers, For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and on our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. 
See, what had happened here in context is 13 years earlier, some of the exiles had already returned to J Jerusalem and they came with uh, silver and gold. They came with extra provisions given to them actually by Babylon. And these extra provisions would have been available to use to support all of the people returning to rebuild their society. But instead, what is happening here in this text is that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And then to top that off, famine comes. And so crops are failing due to a lack of rain. People cannot get basic provisions because the crops are failing. And even if they are producing enough for themselves, they could not afford to pay the taxes that were leveraged against the fields uh, to pay those debts. The people were working their own fields, but they were not working for their own benefit. They were working for those who held the mortgage against uh, that field, their own countrymen. So now the people cry out against the injustice of being enslaved by their own countrymen. When they've left, they have just left Babylon captivity where they were slaves, and they should have been taken care of by their brothers. This is the, is the outcry. And you know, as we think about this, the people of Israel were chosen by God, and they were chosen for what? To be a separate people. To be separate from the world and its ways. God, who is holy, called these people in holiness, to be a holy people. The call to be holy is the call to be set apart, to be separated from the world. The people of God were to live according to the holiness of God, with his standards being the guide to their behavior. The people of God were to separate from the world and its systems, but they were also to live as a community united together, a people responsible for the welfare of their fellow community members, separate from the world, yet united to one another. It's like this occupiers of earth, as we are but just citizens of the kingdom of God and united by his system of justice. This is the cry of the people. We are not being treated justly by our own people. Come to be, it's come to be expected to, to be uh, treated poorly by outsiders, isn't it? But not so much by the people of God who are set apart to be holy and separate and to live according to God's holiness and to according to God's standards, not the standard that the world does. But yet these who had just been there 13 years earlier were now living according to the standard of get mine while I can get it. And if it costs you something, so what? As long as I'm getting richer. This is the, this was what was going on in this time. So now let us look at Nehemiah the leader, and a great leader he is. He hears the outcry of the people, and it angers him. Verse 6, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel within myself and brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said to them, you're exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even so your brothers that they might be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of God to prevent the taunts of the nations and our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this, abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and their percentage of money 
grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. So here is his strong rebu rebuke. The condition and the cries of the people have come to the ear of their leader, Nehemiah. And notice that Nehemiah did not need any outside counsel as to the wrongness of what they were doing, as to the injustice that was going on. He said, I took counsel within myself. He didn't need any outside counsel to tell him that these people were being treated poorly. It is because Nehemiah knew the law of God. He knew the dictates of God's word and that this type of behavior in the community was antithetical to the holiness that God required of them. Every chosen individual in God's family was responsible for the welfare and justice to their fellow chosen brothers and sisters. And Nehemiah was filled with righteous indignation. He was rightfully angry. With boldness, the leader of God's people indicts them. He doesn't shrink back. He takes counsel within himself, and then he lays out an indictment. You are exacting interest from your brothers. We've been released from bondage, and now you would enslave your own, he says. Have you soon forgotten the words in Jeremiah from chapter 17 before you were taken captive that your sins were written with a pen of iron and engraved on the tablet of your hearts? This is what brought you into captivity in the first place. You have placed your trust in the ways of man and not the ways of God. You are strong in your own eyes, whatever the cost is to your brother. Do you not know that God is separating those who trust in him from those who trust those who trust in the world? God is separating those who trust in man from those who trust in God. And yet here you are living according to the world, incorporating man's ways into the household of God. This is Nehemiah's indictment. And his indictment silence, silences the wrongdoers. And he goes on to say that... Uh, he goes on to say that this thing that you're doing, it is not good. Repent. Not only does he bring the indictment, but he tells them what to do, right? This thing that you're doing is not good. It's not befitting of the people of God. Repent. Abandon this exacting of interest and this unholy behavior. It's not befitting of the people chosen by God. The people of God need to be concerned with justice in the world for sure. But far more importantly, we're called to act justly toward the saints and to seek the welfare of the members of the household of God. So, church, I think that we have far too long dumbed down the gospel. We have far too long made the church a place for the ungodly to feel comfortable. For the sake of being friendly and being kind, we have made the church a place for ungodly people to feel comfortable. I hope that when we gather on each Lord's Day that you all feel a little uncomfortable. I hope that the hearing of God's word makes you feel a little uncomfortable because I know that as I study it, I get very uncomfortable with what it says about me. So my hope is that we as a church don't gather in that way to make people feel comfortable. We've made this uh, church a place for ungodly people to feel comfortable. We've thought the church to be an activity we participate in when we have some free time, maybe. And we've stopped living for the kingdom of God. But we have syncretized or joined in, blended in the kingdom of God with the kingdoms of this age. We're to be a peculiar people. 
a separate people, a people set apart who do justice to one another, who love kindness, who walk humbly with our God. Rather, we should return to what Peter says. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, Peter says, as sojourners and exiles. You see, you're not of the world, right? Travelers, sojourners, just traveling through, exiled from the world. To abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak of you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So now, here's the indictment. Let us look at the response of the people to their rebuke and the leaders appeal to God's judgment should they renege. So not only does he, he, he listens and hears their response, but he says, now, should you renege, on your commitment, there's more. Let's look at verses 12 through 13. Then they said, we will restore these things and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. You see, the people repent and they commit to doing as Nehemiah says. But further, Nehemiah calls out a judgment on them. Should they shrink back? Should they renege on their commitments? May God shake you out of your house and your labor if you do not commit to the welfare of God's people. May God shake you out. So church, there's an application for us here today too. When the under shepherds of Christ's church, your pastors and your elders deliver to you an instruction from God's word and you give an amen, which means so be it. You get an instruction from the word and you say amen, which is so be it. And yet you fail to do what it is that you're saying, so be it. Let it be so. And then you fail to commit to that which you were saying. Know this, that as the word of God is preached to you, the truth of God's word, not just what any man gets up here and says, but the things that come from God's word that are the truth for your soul, and you say amen, so be it. Realize this, that the leader who has just preached God's word to you has left you to the judgment of God. Do you realize that? That when you hear the word of God... And you say, amen, so be it. I will commit. I will go after it. And then you do not. The very word that was preached to you is the judgment of God against you. Right? So be wary of that. And this is what Nehemiah is saying here. I shake out my garments against you. And may may the Lord God take you out of your house and out of your labor if you fail to do what it is that you are saying amen to. What you are saying, so be it to. What you are committing to, he says here. In James' epistle, you know, he reminds the church that we are not 
only to be hearers of the word, hearers who say amen to a message, to the preached word, but to be doers of God's word as it has been preached to them. So now I want to look at Nehemiah's leadership and his leadership example that sacrifice is the way of the Christian life. Sacrifice is the way of the godly leader. Sacrifice was was to be the way of godly men and women there in Israel. Instead of acting inter, uh, exacting interest from their brothers, instead of enslaving them, instead of making the burden so heavy that they couldn't pay their taxes, Nehemiah shows that generosity and sacrifice was to be the way of the people through his own example. Let's look at verses 14 through 19. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily rations 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds. Every ten days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all of this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. See here, Nehemiah shows by personal example that the life of the people of God is to be marked by personal sacrifice. That is, we are to live for the sake of the faith of God's elect and that which accords with godliness. That is the aim of us as servants of God. Well, as you know, I had the lockdown for two weeks and I had way too much time on my hands. And having too much time on my hands, I passed through the TV channels and I landed on TBN, the Trinity Broadcast Network. I suggest that none of you ever tune that channel in. I just suggest that. But I tuned in and I glanced in on two separate shows at two separate times. And each of the shows had these preachers, quote unquote, who uh, exhorted their audience to give of themselves sacrificially for the kingdom. Uh, they would say, if you give to this ministry so that I can use my multi-million dollar private jet to bring the kingdom message uh, to the world uh, comfortably, I need to be comfortable as I'm bringing this message to the world, they would say, right? You are sowing for yourselves blessings in heaven. It's like, wow. Wow. I'm surprised that the Lord did not strike that those men down right in the moment, you know. Well, Nehemiah here says, leadership is not about that at all. Leadership is about sacrifice. Leaders live for the sake of the people that they lead, not laying a heavy burden on them as his predecessors did, not taking what was commensurate even with his position. He did so for the sake of the brothers he served. He abstained from taking what could have rightfully been his in that position. 
And, you know, it got me thinking about how, as Americans, we tend to take a strong stand for uh, our rights. And I'm not saying that it's not right to fight for them. We ought to fight for the rights that were fought for us. We ought to fight for those. But sometimes we stand up for our rights even uh, at the cost of relationships to the community of faith that we belong to. The posture in the community of faith, Nehemiah is teaching here, and especially for leaders, but all believers, the posture in the community of faith is sacrifice and generosity. Nehemiah is the people's, uh, uh, Israel's example of sacrifice over rights. Did he have the right to all of those things? He did. But instead, did he take them? No. He said the burden for the people was too heavy. So I would not exact this, what was due to me, on them. He takes a position of sacrifice. What I am worth, quote unquote, is more. If I sacrifice for those whom I'm called to lead. I want us to listen to this. And this is what Paul writes concerning our greater than Nehemiah. This is our greater than Nehemiah Jesus and his great leadership from Philippians chapter 2. He reminds the Philippians this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus had every right to claim, I am God in the flesh. But Jesus, being a leader and loving the people he was leading, did not count that as a thing for him to grab a hold of. And he emptied himself and laid himself down. Well, as we think about this text and think about leadership, I want to close us out with this prayer. Father God, we come as the people that you have formed and chosen out of the world. Father, we confess sometimes a self-centeredness, that sometimes we fail to seek the welfare of your people. We confess that we have allowed the world and its priorities to be blended with the church's priorities. We commit now to live for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We commit to value sacrifice over rights. We commit to value sacrifice and generosity over our freedoms that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray this morning that if there's someone gathered here with us that does not know you in a saving way, we ask, God, for the Holy Spirit to invade their heart. We ask, Lord, that you would convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Help them, Lord, to receive Jesus' sacrificial, obedient death as it is, an atonement for their sin. Holy Spirit, convince them to confess that you, God, raised him from the dead, that you might grant them new life. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.